I'd like to speak to you today about how to grow in wisdom. Now, you may or may not be aware that the World Cup is happening um, at the moment. So, and yesterday we saw England face Sweden in the quarterfinals, and they won uh, 2-0, bringing them through to the semis on Wednesday, praise the Lord. Uh, and there was huge elation in my house. I've got lots of footy fans in my house. There was huge elation as England move ever closer to bringing that trophy home. And now the thing that's different about this World Cup is the VAR, the introduction of the video assistant referee. Now, um, they, you know, the, the introduction of the VAR is to help the referee with those tricky decisions, you know, when you kind of need just that little extra eye of wisdom on what to say and what to do. Now, I know that we are in a current season of sport elation, but, and I don't want to bring a downer on it, but what if we had the VAR 32 years ago, when it was the World Cup in Mexico in 1986, England was in the quarterfinals against Argentina, and we had probably the most iconic sporting goal there ever has been, Maradona dubbed the hand of God, which meant we lost then. And if we'd have had VAR, the whole of World Cup history would have been completely different. We would have had the wisdom of VAR to change the story of sporting history in the UK. So continuing in our series on Daniel tonight, uh, we're going to be looking at Daniel 5, and this chapter highlights the importance of both wisdom and it also features its own hand of God moment. So if you want to open up to Daniel 5, and just to sort of set the scene, it's about a king called Belshazzar, and he's in charge of a a prolific empire, and um, he has this party... And he hosts about a thousand nobles who come to a party and the wine is flowing freely and as the wine is flowing, they all decide to start worshipping gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron and wood and stone. And in the midst of this party, there comes this disembodied hand that starts writing on a wall. And the king sees this, he's totally freaked out, understandably so, and he gets his nobles in, and he gets his, um, his fortune tellers in, and he's saying, can anybody read the words that are written on the wall? What does it say? What does it mean? They come in, they're at a complete loss. The whole place is filled with hysteria at what's happening, with his hand writing on the wall. And we pick it up at uh, Daniel 5, verse 10 to 17. So the queen heard of the hysteria among the king and his nobles, and came to the banquet hall, she said, long live the king, don't be upset, don't sit around looking like ghosts, there's a man in your kingdom who is full of the divine Holy Spirit, during your father's time he was well known for his intellectual brilliance and spiritual wisdom, he was so good that your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, made him the head of all the magicians, enchanters, fortune tellers and diviners, there was no one quite like him, he could do anything, interpret dreams, solve mysteries, explain puzzles, his name is Daniel but he was renamed Belteshazzar by the king, have Daniel called in, he'll tell you what he's going to do. So Daniel was called in. The king asked him, Are you Daniel, who was the one, one of the Jewish exiles my father brought here from Judah? I've heard about you, that you're full of the Holy Spirit, that you've got a brilliant mind, and that you're incredibly wise. 
The wise men and enchanters were brought in here to read this writing on the wall and interpret it for me. They couldn't figure it out, not a word, not a syllable, but I've heard that you interpret dreams and solve mysteries. So if you can read the writing and interpret it for me, you'll be rich and famous, a purple robe, the great gold chain around your neck, and third in command in the kingdom. Daniel answered the king, you can keep your gifts or give them to someone else but I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Then just pausing there, just to summarize the next few verses, Daniel reminds Belshazzar what happened to his grandfather, King Nebuchadnezzar, who started off with a very hard heart and um, a very big head, but then ended up at the end of his days acknowledging God as the true sovereign. And then we carry on, verse 22. You are his son, Daniel says, and have known all this, yet... You're as arrogant as he ever was. Look at you, setting yourself up in competition against the master of heaven. You had the sacred chalices from his temple brought into your drunken party so that you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines could drink from them. You used the sacred chalices to toast your gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, blind, deaf and imbecile gods. But you treat with contempt the living God who holds your entire life from birth to death in his hand. God sent the hand that wrote on the wall, and this is what is written, Mene, Tekel, and Perez. This is what the words mean. Mene, God has numbered your days, the days of your rule, and they don't add up. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales, and you don't weigh much. Perez, your kingdom has been divided up and handed over to the Medes and Persians. Belshazzar did what he had promised. He robed Daniel in purple, draped the great gold chain around his neck and promoted him to third in charge of the kingdom. That same night, the Babylonian king Belshazzar was murdered. Darius the Mede was 62 years old when he succeeded him as king. Now, I didn't grow up going to church, but when I was 15 years old, I became a Christian. As I started reading the Bible, it became really clear to me that the Bible talks about how we should seek to grow in wisdom And um, I shared a room with my younger brother, who was five at the time. We had bunk beds. Obviously, I was the oldest. I'd got top bunk. And um, on my wall, in my section of the bunk beds, I used to put up Bible verses on these posters that I'd buy. And my favorite one was a verse from the Old Testament from Kings when God was talking to Solomon, saying to him, I will give you a wise and discerning heart. And that became my favorite Bible verse. I'd be saying to God, God, I want a wise and discerning heart. I used to play this game with my brother. I would, um, you know, that little trust game. I would take him by his hands and I would get him to close his eyes and then I would lead him around the house and I'd quote scripture at him. I'd say, I guide you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. It's a bit intense, isn't it, for a brother and sister thing? But um, it's my first attempt at evangelism. I didn't know about Alpha then. But, um, but I knew that wisdom was important. I knew that wisdom was something that we should be seeking after. And 27 years on, I still find myself... Pretty much, I would say, every day without fail, asking God for wisdom on stuff, asking God for wisdom in my life. And maybe you're here today, and there's a situation in your life where you're needing God's wisdom to come and speak to you. You need that wisdom to break through to know what to do. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's with a sibling, a brother, a sister, maybe a parent. Or maybe you've got a tricky teenager at the moment, and you're asking God for his wisdom on what to do. Or perhaps it's that conversation with a flatmate that you just don't quite know how to broach or maybe it's a situation at work where you've got a difficult boss or a tricky colleague or maybe for you there's a door of opportunity that's opened up and 
you're not sure whether to take it or not. You don't know whether this is something that you should walk into or not. Or maybe you're just saying, I need wisdom as to what to do with my life. I don't know what to do with my life. What is wisdom? Wisdom isn't intelligence and it isn't knowledge. Wisdom, as the dictionary says, is the ability to discern or judge what is true, right, or lasting. And when King um, Belshazzar called for his advisors, they drew a blank. They didn't have a clue. It talks in Corinthians saying about the wisdom of this world is like foolishness to God. In contrast, Daniel had spiritual wisdom. Wisdom begins and ends, the Bible says, with the fear of the Lord. And that doesn't mean, say, being scared of God. It's talking about honoring and respecting God. Wisdom is the fitting application of knowledge. So knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit, and wisdom is knowing that you don't put it in a fruit salad. Yeah, some of you will be like, really? Uh, I've tried it, it's all right. In the Gospels, we read that Jesus was full of wisdom, that wisdom comes from God, that it's a gift from God. And those of you who've been on the um, Alpha Weekend Away, you would have read about that chapter in 1 Corinthians 12 where it talks about the gifts, the spiritual gifts, and wisdom is listed amongst the gifts there. And if you look, read earlier on in Corinthians, we read that we have the mind of Christ. So the question is not so much, how do I get wisdom, but how do you grow in wisdom? And again in the Gospels, we read that Jesus grew in wisdom, so we can as well. And you might be thinking, this is for the person sitting next to me. I know they are pretty wise. They are good kind of fodder for wisdom and growing in it. But for me, I don't know, it's just not my thing. I've made, I've made too many mistakes. You know, I know there are things that sometimes we can find reasons that we feel disqualified from God using us or growing in the area of wisdom. And one of it might be your past. Maybe there's something that's happened in your life. There's this one particular thing that you just can't get past. You can't get over. It's like this stumbling block. And as a result of it, you're struggling to sort of move on in your relationship with God. You're struggling to be able to receive the truth that he wants to use you. Or maybe it's not so much one particular thing, but it's a whole bunch of little things that every day you kind of feel like you're struggling with and never really seem to master. Perhaps you're a bit like me and you get fed up of making the same mistakes every day. And you start your day feeling good. You start your day feeling positive. You start your day feeling like you can take on the world and that you're ready and that actually any, any difficult situations you can deal with. But then two hours later, you find yourself in a very different place, something quite different <laughs> altogether. And you're tired of that happening every single day. And you think, I've just given up. I, just give, I give up on myself. This is how I often feel. I get so weary of not being able to move beyond those same things that I keep seeming to have a problem with. You know, lack of patience or lack of kindness, whatever it might be. And so you sort of end up feeling like, I give up on myself. And I'm just think, I think that God wants to give up on me too. But that is just not true. Gareth Southgate. He said, when something goes wrong in your life, it doesn't finish you. I'll be honest, I never thought I'd be quoting a footballer. (laughs) But uh, God is the God of new beginnings. And 
we can just say sorry for all that stuff, whatever it is, that one specific thing or a multitude of little things that you feel like stop you from moving on. We can say sorry to God. And it says in his word that when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and he forgives us our sins. You know, his mercies are new every morning. So no matter what your past, you can grow in wisdom. Secondly, maybe it's to do with your age. Um, I got invited into church ministry when I was 19 years old. And I was invited into doing um, seminars in youth camps in uh, Europe and in America and Australia. But as I was sort of getting involved in all this kind of thing, I struggled with my age. And in, the kind, in God's kindness, he, he would often just give me these words of encouragement through people. They would email me or they would come up and they would say to me. And this verse often used to feature 1 Timothy 4 verse 12 says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And I feel like I'm only just starting to really receive that word. I'm a bit of a slow learner. But then I think about it and I think no one's given me that word for a little while now. Maybe that's because I'm 42. <laughs> and then I think, oh gosh, in a, in a culture that seems obsessed with um, youthfulness, then I can, I can be tempted to think, oh, I'm past it. That's it, I've passed, I missed my moment. You know, I'm not 19. Um, and uh, I've missed my moment. You know, my age is an issue. But none of that is true. It's not true. And if you look at the book of Daniel, and if you read his story in the earlier chapters... When he was first brought before the then king, King Nebuchadnezzar, he was a teenager, and God used him to speak wisdom into the king's palace. And then later on, in the chapter that we're looking at right now, a lot of time has passed. He's probably 80 or 90 years old by now, and that the Lord uses him to speak words of wisdom. So no matter what your past and no matter what your age is, it doesn't disqualify you from growing in wisdom and being used by it. So how do we grow in wisdom? There are four things. First is the word of God, reading the Bible. Um, Proverbs is the book to go to. It's full of wisdom and there's 31 chapters in the book. So you can read one every day and that should set you up. And uh, if you want to read something in the New Testament, then James is considered the New Testament book of wisdom. So those two are great places to start. Secondly, the people of God. Proverbs 13, 20 says, walk with the wise and become wise. So who is it in your life? Who is it in your area that you think, oh yeah, it feels like you're someone who often speaks words of wisdom. Hang around them, get to know them, hang out with them. Thirdly, relationship with God, so talking with God, praying and asking for wisdom. About this time sort of eight years ago, Martin and I were in Oxford and Martin had just finished um, studying at Wycliffe Theological College. And it was coming to that point where we needed to find a curacy to finish off the rest of his training. And it's this point in the summer, everybody is usually sorted and set. They've got their placements done so they know where they're going. We didn't. And for various reasons, there were some churches that um, we just thought, I don't know, they didn't seem quite the right fit or churches where we thought maybe this could be where God is guiding us and yet that door seemed to then close. And so we're in this situation where we've got no job, four children, no money coming in, time is seriously running out as to what we're going to do. And I'll be honest, it was a really really challenging time. It was a really stressful time in our marriage even. You know, when you're questioning, God, are you real? 
do you really guide us? Do you care? Do you have a plan? We need your wisdom. We need you to speak to us. And I remember one night, I was just talking to the Lord and just saying, you know, you need to help us. Seriously, what should we be doing? I don't know whether you're aware, but the time is running out. I don't know if you, have, if you find that with the Lord. You're a bit like, oh, I don't know, are we on the same time scale or what? And then I, as I was getting ready for bed, and I got into bed, and I put my head on the pillow, and I just felt the Lord say, James 1, verse 3, and, it's, and I looked it up. The Bible was next to my bed. I looked it up, and it says this. The testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. And you know, in that moment, my perspective changed. My circumstances hadn't changed. because st- It wasn't like God gave us a postcode and went, you know, there's the address. Thank, thank me later, sort of thing. You know, my circumstances hadn't changed, but my perspective had changed. And I'd moved from being sort of whinging and worrying to worshipping and waiting in expectation, thanking God that he hears my prayers. You know, he knows what I was praying. He knew what I was thinking. Thanking that he is good and that he is kind and that he would give us wisdom to discern the way ahead. And soon after that, we moved into London and joined HTB. And fourthly, how we grow in wisdom, we grow in wisdom by having humility before God. In order to grow in wisdom, we actually have to grow in humility, to not rely on our own intellect, our own knowledge, not to be self-sufficient, but to be humble, to humble ourselves before God and ask him. You know, Daniel had wisdom, but Belshazzar didn't. Daniel had humility, Belshazzar didn't because the king had become self-sufficient the Persian army was outside the city preparing to attack and there was the king confident within his own walls his walls were about 150 feet high he had a food supply that would have lasted them 20 years and they had the river Euphrates running through the city so they had endless water supply And no army had taken Babylon for 10 centuries. So with the enemy at his door, the king chose not to pray, but to party at that moment. And he parted on his pride, unaware of what was about to happen. He was drunk on his own success and self-sufficiency. He was prideful and he was plastered. (laughs) It's not a great combination. (laughs) So all the while, the Persian army diverted the water of the river. And then on the dry riverbed, they went in under the city walls and attacked the city. And King Belshazzar was killed that night. Even with the hand of God writing on the wall before him, the king failed to realize that the strength of any individual lies not on the outside, but it lies on what's inside. 1 Peter 5 verse 6 says, Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand so that he may lift you up in due time. I know sometimes in our own eyes we can very easily see the need for humility in somebody else. You know, maybe you've received an email this week that's had a less than respectful tone and you're a bit like, you could do with a little dose of humility. And I'm just, you know, doing you a favor, just want to say, just want to point it out. 
not my agenda, but I want to help you. You know, maybe you're thinking like that. Or maybe you've had a conversation with somebody and you're thinking, hang on a second, this is like you're speaking at me. You've not asked me one question. This is like a one, one-way street in terms of conversation. How about a little bit of humility? And you want to gently suggest it to them because you want to help them. You know, want to help them grow. But it doesn't say that we should be humbling others. It says humble ourselves. Daniel humbled himself and God, in his sovereignty, lifted him up to speak before the king. There are three times in the Bible where God writes with his finger. One is in Exodus when he's giving Moses the Ten Commandments, essentially where he's giving the law on how we should live. The second is this one, the writing on the wall in Daniel 5. More about what happens if you don't do what the law says, judgment, I suppose. And then thirdly, the story of the woman caught in the act of adultery in John 8, when, if you know the story, you know that the woman was brought before Jesus by the Pharisees. She'd been literally caught in the act of adultery. They knew the law, and they said to Jesus, what are you going to do about it? They were testing him. They knew that she should be stoned. That's what the law said. What are you going to do about it? And Jesus doesn't say anything, but he just goes down into the dirt, and he and he writes in the dirt. And we don't know what he says at that point, what he writes, but then he stands up and he says to the woman, he says to everybody, he who is without sin, cast the first stone. And then one by one, starting with the oldest, they began to all walk away. And then he said to the woman, there's no one here to condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now what he does in that moment is, He erases her shame. So though we don't know what he wrote, the message that he gave was about mercy. And the message that he gave was about grace. Jesus has shown grace and mercy to each one of us through the cross. Jesus is the source of all wisdom. And the thing about wisdom is that we shouldn't aim to be wise but we should aim to be more like Jesus. It says in Philippians chapter two, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And you know, the thing about that verse, you know, that Jesus humbled himself and God lifted him up. You know, Daniel humbled himself and God lifted him up. But it's The reason it is so that everybody might know, so that every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. God is calling all people to follow him, to know him, to know his grace, to know his mercy, to experience his love, to grow in wisdom. Daniel read God's word and revealed its message. And God calls us to be people who will do the same wherever he positions us us. and whether that's in your house or whether that's in the White House 
wherever God positions you, wherever you find yourself in a place of influence, as we humble ourselves and as we say, God, let your kingdom come, let your will be done, in Jesus' name, amen.